down the far side, got a man open in the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills, what a pair of hands. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. yesterday, man, they're scared. Damn scared. They're scared, and that's not to our advantage. You have to get a scared man, scared team. Super job, you're a champion, undisputed oh, champion. I am joined by a familiar face and a familiar, familiar name that you should know if you're involved in college football or high school football, all-American football, Under Armour, um, and Demetric Warren. Demetric, thank you today for joining the podcast. How are we doing today? I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And you know, and Demetri comes on the podcast every year in the summer, and so like we just want to extend like gratitude towards that. But we got some Sooners to talk about. Uh, you know, Demetri's down in Mississippi, and but you know, loves himself some Sooners. They finished six and seven last year, but let's not talk about that right now. Um, they bring in a really highly rated recruiting class. Uh, I think they had eight or nine Under Armour All Americans. Um, and you're familiar with high school athletes and you're familiar with the Under Armour All-American process as well. Definitely. To you, in a sense, how is recruiting? Because it seems like it's changed quite a bit. But how has recruiting changed the last 10 years, let alone the last 20 years to you? Well, you know, over the last 10 to 20 years, it hadn't changed a whole lot. But over the last two, three, over the last two years, it has because of NIL. NIL mm -hmm. has completely changed the, the, the landscape of recruit. And so um, it's right now it's it's a interesting process to watch, uh, to see the uh, how would you say the the legal process, if you will, to mm -hmm. to offer kids money to play, which I'm I'm completely for NIL. There had there needs to be some regulation with it, I do believe, uh, but that is taking uh, recruiting by storm, and so now you have the the big money schools, the schools that you know got endless supply of money, they're kind of rising to the top for recruiting, and a lot of the teams who don't have collectives, who don't have a lot of money, kind of fading in the background, so. Um, it's it, it, the the high school recruiting is very interesting right now. There's a lot of twists and turns for us, you know, NIL. But you know, all in all, I think it's good for the kids. Just kids are just something that we got to get used to. And you mentioned, and I, and I like what you say, have to say. I think they deserve it as well. Uh, and you mentioned that there might be some regulations in the future. Or there might be, there might have to be, right? Because the, like you said, the cream kind of rises to the top of blue bloods or money programs. Uh, is there, is there anything you can think of to start off with the regulations, or like we we just like need to think about it? Yeah, well, I, I think number one, you know, when you when you when when a school offer a kid uh, NIA package, that it needs to be put in writing. Mm. Because what's happening, what's happening is you got yeah, I was just talking to a college coach yesterday about this, a college coach at at probably the top power five school in the country. And we were talking about this yesterday. 
um, you know, when when a when a collective offer a kid a package, say, hey, we're gonna give you this amount every year you come sign, it should be in writing. Because what's happening is, and we saw this with one team last year, when when a school offered offer those kids those packages, and that kid come in and that kid don't meet expectation, they renege on that package, that kid transfer. They, they and a lot of that is going on. Um, and so when you entice a kid to get them to your school. Let's sign on the dotted line. Say so you this is what you're going to offer this kid. This is what you're going to this is your commitment to this kid every year and put it in writing. And what and what that would do is that would drive down NIL some and it will it will make schools more cautious about um about offering kids just to just to get them to sign, just to get them there, just to be greedy and stockpile their programs. Because, you know, with some of these schools, the, the amount of money that each kid is being offered, there's no way these schools are going to be able to pay those obligations. So uh, they're just getting them in. They're going to give them a little here, give them a little there to keep them on the hook. Season start. Their kid may not pan out to be the big high five star or the high four star or the potential star they thought. They're going to need a kid, going to get in transfer report. A kid can't say. Kid ain't going to come out public and say, hey, I signed with this school because they're going to give me – Two hundred thousand dollars a year, and they were, kid ain't gonna say that. Kid's just gonna get in transfer portal and go, and now it's on to the next recruiting cycle. So I think that's one thing that needs to be reformed is if you mm-hmm. offer a kid, put it in right. It needs to be put in right, and it needs to be signed. And there's a mutual agreement needs to be signed. It needs to be signed that hey, this is what you offer this kid, and and I think that'll kind of help regulate NIL. So, and I think it's something that needs to be acknowledged is that like 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 you just said is that like sometimes especially if a kid does enter the transfer portal and nobody really knows why and of course the, stu- the, the student athlete won't say anything about it and it could be in times in which that's the case it, it, it gives me shades of the espn 30 for 30 pony excess where smu they still had a lot of guys that actually had contracts to smu that were signed to be paid uh to play before it was actually legal to do so and using name image likeness mm-hmm. and uh they uh they ran short of money and they ran into a lot of problems before of course they got the death penalty but enough about smu uh let's talk about some sooners i just want to get your general thoughts i mean of course they finished six and seven last year um but i want to get your general thoughts on where oklahoma you felt like they felt sh- fell short or maybe even places where they did well especially toward the end of the season well, you know, of course, it was it was. I think most Sooner fans w- would admit. So, you know, you still got some that's upset. It was heartbreaking to see Lincoln Riley leave, sure, especially at the time. You know, with the timing, we had a had the number one class in the country, finna sign a lot of big time guys. Still had a really good class. Brent came into his credit and did a really good job of of of, of, of putting together a really good class, uh, but. You know, that was kind of devastating to see him leave. Nevertheless, you know, Brick came in. He's done a good job. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, going six and seven this past year was brutal. I'm talking about as brutal as it can be to watch, uh, especially losing majority of those games by a touchdown unless it was brutal. Um you know it. You know the kids played hard, definitely, of course, and you can and you can tell mm-hmm. that um, a lot of those games, of course, losing by a touchdown. Unless you can, you, a lot of those games could have swung anywhere, play here, play there, um, 
I, I, I think, you know, in order to, to get back over the hump, you got to have more consistency, especially on third down from the quarterback. Um, you know, you got to have more consistent, more consistently defensive getting off the field. I mean, that, that goes without saying. But I do think uh, we're headed in the right direction. I think, you know, we're going to win, definitely win more than six games this year. Um, had a really good recruiting class to come in. Like I said, Brent did a really good job of keeping – that recruiting class together and adding some some really good pieces. It, it was a phenomenal class uh, that that uh, that he brought in and and kept some of those guys committed. So um, I do think the outlook um, this year is positive, and you're gonna need some momentum going into the SEC uh, the uh, next year. So um, I think right now, um, you know, we just got to you know get improve from last year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the quarterback position, you got to get a little bit more consistent, you know, sitting watching open receivers and third down, you know, you know, got to, got to be able to hit, got to be able to hit, you know, those, you know, easy throws and mm-hmm. just, it's just, it was a lot of inconsistency in that area, you know, starting the year off last and I, and I saw some struggle coming, you know, playing Kent State and playing, um, you can kind of see how OU struggled kind of early, and then your labor had to say, "All right, let me put put my feet on the gas and kind of kind of let's pull away from this team," which you know we generally never used to do. Teams like that, you go ahead and blow those teams out and get on off the field. Mm-hmm. So you know you kind of saw earlier that there was going to be some struggles a little bit, but to go six and seven was brutal. But I think Brent got us going in the right direction. We'll be fine. And like like you mentioned. Um, Oklahoma went six and seven, but they seem like they're coming on the come up and they've been, you know, uh, rated. I mean, the preseason conference polls and stuff like that don't really mean much to me. I mean, like you can sleep on somebody all year and then they like Kansas, everybody sleeps on Kansas and OSU and then they do pretty well as last year. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, yourself believes Oklahoma's on the up and up definitely should win more than six games this year. Um, how much, like, if you had to put the over and under on the amount of games it would win, like, I put mine at eight and a half as far as the season. As I mean, they have a very friendly schedule. What challenges do you think they overcome this year to make them a better unit? I mean, I think their offensive line and Bill Beatembo, he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the nation. I think they're getting pretty, pretty decent talent on the defensive line of the trenches where it matters. Uh, you're definitely right on just getting those easy throws, especially on third and three or third and four, not overthrowing your receiver. Uh, what exactly does Oklahoma have to do to take that next step to possibly be in contention for at least a Big 12 title? Well, I think the biggest concern I, last year and year before that, you know, the, you know, how good is the receiving receiver core? How good? How good? How well would they perform? Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be able to get open. You got to be able to, uh, you know, you got to be able to play play at a high level, especially in the Big Twelve, where you you're gonna get a lot of scoring. So, you know, it's it's uh, you know, we, we that's been a question mark at OU. Uh, you know, the receiver core, um, and so. Also, the DBs, you know, that, that's been a question mark, too. How well would they play? 
how well defensively they're gonna communicate and play. So I think oh I so I think overall, I think overall, um, you know, there will be some improvements. Brent Vilmers is a, is a darn good defensive coordinator, and uh, he's going to manage the team well. He's going to manage the team to the point where they're going to get better because he's a driven guy, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, but. How well will the receiver core play? How well will the DBs play this year? I think that's going that's that, those are the two positions that's gonna make a break. O line gonna be fine, running backs gonna be fine, D line, they've added some D linemen. Uh the front, the front seven front eight gonna be fine, but the back end guys and the receiver core, how we what you know, that's gonna determine how far O you go this year. And that's that's something that I've been on like the entire time, especially the receiving core. I mean you lose a Marvin Mims. Uh, he, I mean, you can't really replace a Marvin Mims, uh, especially with what was walking out the door in comparison to what was coming in. And But Drake Stoops decides to stay another year uh, for Oklahoma. You're looking at Jaleel Farouk, and you think uh, hopefully he takes that next step in his trajectory. Drake Stoops is a guy that it seems reliable, at least. You've got a lot of really tall, fast freshmen um, and other guys on, on the squad. So again, that that's what that's like the big question mark. And Austin Stogner comes back from South South Carolina. As far as Dylan Gabriel and his targets and guys that are able to get open, but also the DBs. I know they're being really competitive. I know they got a lot of guys in there uh, for that specifically as well. And so definitely, I would I would certainly I I've been harping on the wide receivers all this entire offseason as far as me having question marks because they didn't seem to land that many in the portal or. They tried to for for sure. Um, they got Andrew Anthony from Michigan and others, but uh, it's it'll be an interesting one to to say the least. But you mentioned this earlier about Brent Venables being an organized coach and certainly dec- a decorated coach. Uh, some people already after their first season and and after his first season, uh, and we you mentioned earlier the context in which he came into this position. I mean. Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, et cetera. They, they end up leaving within a matter of, you know, a week or two after the bowl game. And then suddenly Brent has to come in, do some damage control, et cetera. And then people were very excited for him to be the, the head coach for last season. And of course we saw what happened. Like, as you mentioned, a lot of one score games, and a lot of people started to lose faith in Brent, um, even though, like, under the circumstances, the context after that first year, um, and some even wanted to fire him. And so what would you say to people about Brent Venables? I mean, he certainly got skins on the wall as far as championships as a defensive coordinator, but what would you say as uh, for him as a coach? Well, I, I uh, again, I thought that he, you know, after Lincoln Cutman, he was a no-brainer to give him the job. I, I, I do think that, um, um, you know, I, I, I believe that in due time he's going to raise Oklahoma back to a level of, you know, championship standards, champ compete, and it could be this year. We're hoping it's this year. Mm. I think he's going to be a, a tough disciplinary, seem like a tough disciplinary, um, no nonsense type guy, and and that's and that's what the program need. Uh, he's an OU guy, been there for years on, with Bob, so he understands the culture at OU. Perfect fit. Um, so I, I do believe that 
um, he is the, the right guy at the right time, especially going into, again, the SEC next year where he's competed against a lot of those SEC schools and beat mm-hmm. them as defense coordinator at Clemson, won't come to that championship. So he, he understands what he's going to be facing uh, in the SEC now to the full extent. Of course, you know, Clemson plays played in this uh, ACC schedule. You play SEC team maybe in the first-round playoff or in that championship game. It's different than playing those teams every year. But mm-hmm. he knows how to beat them. He knows how to game plan. He knows how to beat them. And also he knows what type of kids he needs to beat them. So perfect fit, uh, great hire. And, you know, just, again, you could tell last, last year he knew and it was it was kind of agonizing to watch. He 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 knows that six and seven, or losing you know th- those amount of games during a during the course of a season isn't uh, isn't um, acceptable at Oklahoma. So you have a guy who do understand the the program standards. So I think he's a perfect fit. And so like going right off of that. Transitioning to the SEC for Oklahoma, I mean, the schedule's already been released. Oklahoma's going to host Alabama. Of course, I know the SEC wanted to split Georgia and Alabama between Texas and OU. Um, Oklahoma gets Alabama and Norman for the first time since 2002, which is, that was a fun game as well. But transitioning to the SEC for Oklahoma, I mean, they're... (laughs) I don't know if Dylan Gabriel comes back next year. Uh, he's had a lot of years of eligibility so far, so that wouldn't make way for likely Jackson Arnold. Uh, in, tra- in transitioning for Oklahoma, that would be Jerry Schmidt's third year strength conditioning program because that's something they also have needed to have uh, altered uh, from the Lincoln-Riley era into the SEC where you know every team is ready to punch you in the mouth every week, and it's not an easy schedule. I mean, it's not like you go to Lawrence, Kansas, despite the fact that they're getting actually pretty, pretty, pretty good up there uh, or Manhattan, Kansas, et cetera. Every week you're going to the Grove, you're going to death Valley, et cetera. These are big, massive stadiums. Big, I think I read something where OU ranked seventh or ninth as far as stadium capacity in the sec. If you had to look at it right now, what do you think Oklahoma needs to do? Not necessarily next year, because the writing's kind of already on the wall. It's been been very apparent that Brent has been trying to stock the trenches, and of course, her recruiting at a still at a very high level despite last season. Anyway, what do they need to do to maybe be successful in their first years in the SEC? In your opinion, uh, don't get overwhelmed by the crowd sizes and how fanatic the fans are over this way. And also, too, you know, I think OU will be fine. The the SEC is really, really good. But every team, you're not going to play Georgia and Alabama and LSU every week. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, they, but again, it's a good, it's a good conference. But OU will be fine. You know, OU has always played SEC schools and had success against them. So, uh, so OU, OU will be fine. Uh, long term, I think the immediate impact in the SEC, uh, they won't be too much judged on what they do immediately. They're going to be judged what they do over a long period of time. And you got to compete over a long period of time. You got to recruit. You got to get guys up front. You got to get D-line. SEC, when you, when you think of SEC, you think of defensive line. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Get them, them boys up front. You got, you got to get them. O lineman, you got to get them. That, that makes a break. You know, if you can't win up front in the SEC, you're gonna get beat up up front. When you play Mississippi State, Mississippi State gonna have some big, long defensive linemen that can, that can get up the field like they have on fire. You gonna play the Georgias, and you, you know, you gonna play Tennessee. You gonna play those dudes up front. They, that, that's where they get you. So you got to get those guys. Um, got to get some of those guys up front. That's going to. Um, be able to make you more competitive in those games. Um, so recruiting over a long period of time will sustain them and, and getting some high-value kids, some high highly recruited kids. You know, you got to be able to win those um, those recruiting battles, not just in Texas, but you got to come over here to the Southeast and win you some recruiting battles against Alabama, against Georgia. I think the way to compete against those teams is compete against them in, in recruiting. If you can't compete against them in recruiting, you're not going to compete against them on the field. Um, you know, if you're taking kids who they don't want or who they're not recruiting, then you're going to have some long Saturdays. So you got to compete against them in recruiting and win some recruiting battles in order to compete with them consistently compete with them on the field. I think, I I think I've heard, you know, some people you talk about when, when uh, Missouri came over to the SEC and they was, Oh, they're going to get killed. Missouri made it to the SEC championship game Mm -hmm. uh, two straight years. That's a totally different SEC than it is now. Totally different. At that time, Georgia wasn't Georgia. Alabama was Alabama. Alabama was Mm -hmm. winning. obviously. But Georgia wasn't Georgia. A lot of those other teams, uh, you know, were – I think the SEC East was probably controlled a little bit by Florida. The SEC East was really – wasn't really good because Florida was down. Georgia wasn't really – Georgia, Tennessee was down. You know, all those schools. And now it's, that ain't the case. The, oh, the, the SEC Oklahoma is moving into – it's completely different than the SEC Missouri uh, – Missouri came in. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. So, um, and plus, again, you fact in NIL and this high, you know, recruiting has changed over the last eight to ten years. So, you know, they just they they got to recruit and they got to get some guys up front in order to sustain an SEC. One one hundred percent. That's that's been my message. Is they need to get get in and battle in the trenches specifically for recruiting purposes because that's where the games are ultimately won, but certainly ultimately won in the SEC where, uh, I mean, those guys, gosh, it it seems like so many, even the programs that some would say are lower tier in the SEC are still getting uh, monstrous defensive linemen in the middle and and vice versa on the other side of the ball as well. And something that you mentioned earlier that I want to come back to, and the last thing I'll ask is, I mean, there are qualities of winning teams and coaches and uh, we, we can, we can acknowledge, you know, like at the time, uh, like you mentioned earlier, when Missouri came in to the, to the sec, they went to the conference championship twice in a row. Yep. Like you like, and Mark Rick was still at Georgia and they were, you know, it was like a foregone conclusion. You go to the sec championship and it'd be Alabama and whoever's from the East. And then, and, and then as you know, of course, Alabama, that's where the dynasty really started with Nick Saban after, you know, he had a stint with the dolphins after LSU. And so thinking about all these coaches specifically in the sec, that are really great coaches. I mean, not that coaches like Brent Venables and others aren't, but um, what are to you at least maybe one, two, 
three most uh, qualities of winning teams to you? Qualities of winning teams, consistency. They're consistently good. They consistently hire uh, good coaches. Uh, they hire and, and, and they hire good recruiters. I think in the SEC, you know, you, you have such an abundance of good players and in some program, you know, the first quality they're looking for, hey, can, can you can you recruit? You know, we'll get we'll get the guys in. You know, you do a little coaching, but can you recruit? Who do you know? Can you recruit? You got to be able to get guys in that that can that that can recruit. Um, number two, it's it's having a program standard. This is what we you know year in and year out. No matter who our head coach is, this is the standard that's in place. And when you come in, you're gonna have to meet these standards and expectations. I think that's something that the SEC do very well. They're gonna have they got the money. The schools got the money, not and not all of them, of course. You know, mm -hmm. you know Vanderbilt ain't gonna outspend on anybody. You know, uh, to to a certain respect, uh, Kentucky ain't gonna outspend Georgia. You know, for facilities and all this other stuff and NIL stuff. But a lot of those schools do have they do have the money, and they have a lot of backing, and so they put their money where their mouth is for facilities and for and as far as uh, NIL. Um, and 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 number three, you know, it's 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 how their programs are being marketed, how their programs are being marketed around the country. They, they understand that they have to compete all over the all over the country. They have to recruit all over the country. So you know, they want to go out. I, I think I was I was looking yesterday where LSU has going to go play USC out in Las Vegas, I believe, next year. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these schools want to play in, in, in a lot of different areas and they want to play because they believe that they have to recruit all over the country. They're competing all over the country. And so they market that they market their program that way. And so, you know, that's I think that's that's important, you know, uh, with 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 championship programs, championship style programs in SEC. And and one thing I want to add too is with that is you know is how those programs view themselves. Um, mm -hmm. It's you know they feel like we play in the SEC, we're the biggest baddest on the block. We may beat each other up, but when we go out of conference, we're gonna beat you up. It's it's, it's that type mentality, that bully mentality that they have, and uh, it doesn't matter what program it is in the SEC, they believe on any given Saturday. Uh, they can upset you. They can beat you. If we don't beat you, we're going to bloody you. And next week you're going to be in some trouble. Uh, and so, you know, when they go out of conference and play other teams, they feel like that they automatically should beat them. And to some respects they do. Um, but nevertheless, uh, they have a certain mentality that, hey, we're in the SEC. We're the biggest. We're the baddest. And we'll take we'll, – we'll play whoever – Anywhere, anytime, any place, and so um, I think that 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 that's what shapes the SEC, um, you know. And it's it's something different down here. Oh, you fans will see it is something different now. Oh, you isn't impervious to winning and all that. Hey, oh, you, oh, is a blue blood. Oh, you ain't this. Oh, you ain't ain't uh, Kansas State trying to come into the SEC. Mm -hmm. Oh, you is a blue blood, a blue 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 blood. Oh, you done been all over this country playing and winning. So. You know they they do understand that mentality, and they've had coaches who under who has that mentality that we don't care who you are, we'll play. So so OU gets it. Out of any program, a program that can come into the SEC and get it, 
who understand that SEC mentality is Oklahoma. And I think it's more than fair. And I think, like you said, long term, there'll be like an adjustment period, especially with uh, with Oklahoma. But like you said, Brent Venables, the guy knows what it takes to beat SEC schools. He's been face to face with them at high stakes, you know, opportunities. Um, heck, even uh, just like at Clemson and at Oklahoma in the earlier days with Mike and them. Um, and it'll be really interesting, like you mentioned, like every team. You know, Arkansas, then you get hit with Ole Miss and you get hit with LSU. So, like, one guy doesn't get you the next might because, you know, these guys, I mean, again, in the trenches, they leave each single game with all kinds of bruises and they're battered just because of the quality of competition each week, which is set up purposely by the SEC that they're scheduling. They wanted to have almost parity in their schedules as far as that to have a lot of really competitive and evenly matched games that way teams will actually just like go ahead and tooth and nail against each other but again Dimitri like I said I don't want to take much of your time thank you so much for coming on the podcast and um tell everybody that's listening uh where they might be able to find you of course like you're very apparent and transparent on Twitter I mean like there's like a super subscribe button that I've never seen in my life on Twitter (laughs) On your profile, what, 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 what can we, where can we find you? Where, where can we find you? Uh, on Twitter at Dimitri D. Warren. On Instagram at Dimitri D. Warren. I think I got a threads account, which I don't really know how to use much. It's Dimitri <laughs> D. Warren, too. So I think threads is useless. But you can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, at Dimitri D. Warren. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and we'll check you later, okay? Thank you. Have a good one.